Stu Does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu. There you can go and get 36 bucks off your subscription to Blaze TV Plus if you use the code Stu Plus. You've got to use the code Stu Plus at BlazeTV.com slash Stu. If you're watching on YouTube, thanks so much. Make sure to follow the channel and like all our videos and hit the bell for reminders. Uh, as a reminder, we did um, some live coverage uh, after the debate, broke the whole thing down for like 45 minutes. It's a free thing for you. Uh, check it out. And we had a bunch of people on uh, asking questions and going through all the debate stuff. It was a lot of fun. And we'll be doing that throughout the campaign cycle. So go to YouTube.com slash America and uh, follow the page right now. Carol Roth is going to join me in a little bit to talk about Jen Gen Z's terrible money habits. Aaron McIntyre is here with his take on last night's craziness, which is where we start as we do the third GOP debate. Fascinating night. I mean, the media was always focused on the right things, as you know. They always know how to laser in on what's important to America. And that's why we now know Tim Scott brought his girlfriend. Yes, Mindy was at the Republican debate in Miami. Wow. And here she is. NBC News credit with this particular photo of Tim Scott standing there with his girlfriend, which apparently we needed to know about for some reason. I, I don't know. I, I, I shudder to think about the consultant that had a, a conversation with Tim Scott saying, hey, you got to bring your girlfriend. People need to know you have a girlfriend, you know. We live in weird freaking times. Uh, it was a an interesting debate. I actually thought of the three, it was probably the best one. Uh, number one, you know, as is, is much as I hate NBC News, they were at least able to keep things under control a little bit better than the uh, Fox debates. Uh, and that was, I think, a, a positive change. Also, the situation where, um, you know, you actually were able to hear a little bit of debate, I thought was, generally speaking, uh, true in this in this one, unlike the last one where they just talked over each other the entire time. Let me give you some of the highlights. Uh, and, and what's the thing you're supposed to do here? Look, we all know Donald Trump's ahead by 30, 40, 50 points, depending on where you're looking. So what do you have to do here? You have to come up with a way to convince people, hey, yeah, I know you like Donald Trump. I got it. I'm going to do a better job. Here's why. They have to do that. They don't seem to want to do that, though. They don't seem to want to make a case on their own behalf as to why, not just that they are wonderful, but why they are better than Donald Trump. That has to be part of your argument. This is the third out of four debates. And we have some breaking news on the fourth debate we'll give you here in a second. But this is a third out of fourth debate. You, you're running out of time. We're less than, what, we're two months away from votes actually being cast. You need to, at some point, make your move. Uh, here is Ron DeSantis, uh, and he didn't, they didn't do a lot of this last night, but here was Ron DeSantis trying to address why he should be your nominee and not Donald Trump. Now, if you look where we are now, it's a lot different than we were in 2016. And Donald Trump's a lot different guy than he was in 2016. He owes it to you to be on this stage and explain why he should get another chance. He should explain why he didn't have Mexico pay for the border wall. He should explain why he racked up so much debt. He should explain why he didn't drain the swamp. And he said Republicans were going to get tired of winning. Well, we saw last night, I'm sick of Republicans losing in Florida. I showed how it's done. One year ago here, we won a historic victory, including a massive landslide right here in Miami-Dade County. That's how we have to do it. So I promise you this, as the nominee, next November I'll Thank get you, the Governor. job done, and as president, I will Your, deliver your time for is you. up. Let me turn to Ambassador Haley. 
I mean, look, none of that's personal. It's, uh, those are all policy complaints and approach complaints on the president. A lot of those things, I think, would connect with the average conservative voter, you know, spending too much and not getting the wall done. And I mean, he what unmentioned there was his, his ties with Fauci and, and all of the COVID stuff. I think that's another part of the, uh, the reasonable la- uh, lanes of attack on, on Donald Trump that aren't like, hey, Donald Trump's mean, Donald Trump's a jerk, I don't like Donald Trump. Instead, just talking about his policy and saying, look, we can improve. We can do a lot of the same things that you like that were good. And we can avoid the things that Donald Trump was, uh, did that did not work. We can improve on his performance. It has to be a case that you're making. Nikki Haley is the other one who's up there uh, in the polls. She tried to make a case as well. Her case, I didn't think, was quite as convincing, honestly, uh, when it comes to uh, her idea of why she should be president instead of Donald Trump. But here it is. You know, everybody wants to talk about President Trump. Well, I can talk about President Trump. I can tell you that I think he was the right president at the right time. I don't think he's the right president now. I think that he put us $8 trillion in debt, and our kids are never going to forgive us for that. I think the fact that he used to be right on Ukraine and, and foreign issues, now he's getting weak in the knees and trying to be friendly again. I think that we've got to go back to the fact that we can't live in the past. We can't live in other headlines. We've got to start focusing on what's going to make America strong and proud. And that's what I'm focused on doing. I thought Haley was, this was her best debate. I thought she was uh, better than the first two, which I really didn't like her performance a lot. I will say everyone else seemed to in the first uh, couple of debates, not everyone, but in the polls, seemed like she improved her position. This one, I thought she was better. And one of the things I like about her, at least, uh, is that she will actually just argue for her position. She's not trying to hide from you that she really wants to spend a couple hundred billion dollars in Ukraine. She's just telling you. And you might not like that. You might like it. But at least she's making a a case for her position and not trying to hide it. So I appreciated that. Um, You know, the fact that Donald Trump was the right president at the right time. And now he's changed on Ukraine. I don't know if that's really going to connect with voters as the reason why he shouldn't be president. The, the spending, I think, is a legitimate point. I mean, we are multiple trillions of dollars in debt over where we were when Donald Trump took office. He really didn't Honestly, he didn't campaign and didn't focus much on on spending and debt. That wasn't really why he ran. Um, so, uh, but I don't think that makes him the right president at the right time. If you if you're adding tons and tons of trillions of, of debt, uh, you see the struggle here for these candidates. I mean, they just they want to stay nice with Trump. They want to not piss off his voters, but they want to try to inch into his voting uh, you know group a little bit. It's just a tough line to walk. Now, Vivek Ramaswamy was the real headline maker last night. Here he is sparring with Nikki Haley. Talk ban if you use it. Well, I, I, I want to laugh at why Nikki Haley didn't answer your question, which is about looking at families in the eye. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. Adult daughter. The next generation of Americans are using it. And that's actually the point. You have her supporters propping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. You're just the easy scum. answer is actually to say that we're just going to ban one app. We got to go further. We have to ban any U.S. company actually transferring I mean, U.S. It, data to the Chinese. It's just an ugly uh, back and forth. Now, f- first of all, the attack really makes no sense from the Vivek Ramaswamy thing aside. 
you know, Nikki Haley's daughter's 25 years old. Uh, what, what control would she have over her internet usage? She's an adult. It would be weird if she did tell her she wasn't allowed to sign up for TikTok. Um, and of course, the, the comeback there is harsh, right? You're scum. I mean, that's pretty harsh. Um, and the one thing that Haley does over and over again, which is just like, ah, oh, you, you feel, I feel for her a little bit. She's always trying to get these lines out and she always just misses them. Like she was trying to do the Will Smith, you know, you know, get your, get my wife's name out of your mouth or whatever. And she said, get your, get my daughter out of your voice or something. I don't know. They just never come out exactly right. But that was kind of the headline making moment. Um, also, uh, we had Ron DeSantis talking about his efforts to get people out of Israel. Listen. I would be telling Bibi, finish the job once and for all with these butchers, Hamas. They're terrorists. They're massacring innocent people. They would wipe every Jew off the globe if they could. He cannot live with that threat right by his country. That Hamas should release every hostage and they should unconditionally surrender. I'm sick of hearing the media. I'm sick of hearing other people blame Israel just for defending itself. We will stand with Israel in word and in deed, in public and in private. And I can tell you, as governor, I actually did something about it. Biden's neglect has been atrocious. Uh, we had Floridians that were over there after the attack. He left them stranded. They couldn't get flights out. So I scrambled resources in Florida. I sent planes over to Israel, and I brought back over 700 people to safety. There could have been more hostages had we not acted. And I'll tell you this, I met the first plane load uh, when they came to Florida, and one of the mothers pointed to a six-year-old daughter, and she said, my daughter had been saying the last two nights, Mommy, I don't want to hear any more bombs, no more rockets. I just want to get back to Florida. So there's a difference between words and deeds. We acted and we save lives. Thank you. Uh, I mean, that was a good moment for DeSantis. Overall, it was a good night, I think, for DeSantis and Haley. Vivek, it really just depends on what you like. I, I think a lot of people, it's, it's split from everybody I talk to, uh, where some people really love Vivek's uh, kind of in-your-face performance, um, where a lot of people just don't have a taste for it. And I think that's going to be something Vivek's going to struggle with because it's tough. He's just very polarizing, I think, when it comes to this. Scott and Christy really weren't a huge factor in the debate, although Tim Scott brought his girlfriend. So remember that um, the breaking news uh, today on the fourth debate that's going to be December 6th and uh, moderated by Megan Kelly. I think that's a great choice. She's going to do a very good job moderating a debate. Someone who actually can ask some smart questions and someone who understands what you know, right leaning voters actually care about. I think that's going to be um, interesting to see her on the uh, doing this once again. I was on her show yesterday. We were talking and previewing the debate. And it's funny when you. Um, Sometimes when when we finish an appearance, they'll say, OK, hey, well, you know, we'd like to have you back on this date. They mentioned a, a date. The next one was supposed to be December 6th, which is the date of this debate. You know, I'm getting canceled now. That's totally happening. She's going to have way more important guests than me. Uh, but we'll see uh, either I'll be there previewing uh, the debate on December 6th or maybe uh, a little bit after that and uh, looking back at the debate. But that's what we have uh, for you on the debate tonight. There's going to be another one. We got one more of these things and we will see where that goes. Also want to see where the economy goes. Uh, Carol Roth is here. She's going to join us next. You need to get a Jace case into your life. Yes, Jace case from Jace Medical. The United States is currently facing a crucial shortage of essential drugs. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Over 300 drugs right now 
are in shortage in the United States. That's a lot. It's way over what it normally is. Treatments are facing delays, cancellations, and the rationing of vital, vital medications. So you need to be sure to have a Jace case on hand. You never know what's going to happen down the road. Why not be prepared? It's a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are really treating the most common and deadly bacterial infections. It's customizable. Dozens of add-on medications are available. You can choose the ones that best fit you and your family's needs. Process is simple. Just go online. You fill out a form and then you get a prescription. Uh, it's really easy. Life-saving medications, uh, they're delivered right to your door. You can go to jacemedical.com and enter the promo code STU. You'll get a checkout uh, of a special discount when you do that and use that code STU. The promo code is STU at jacemedical.com, J-A-S-E medical.com. Prepare yourself, prepare your family for the worst with the Jace case. It's the Jace case from Jace Medical. I am happy to welcome Carol Roth back to the program. She's a former investment banker and author of You Will Own Nothing, Your War with the New Financial World Order and How to Fight Back. It's available wherever you get your books. Carol, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, long time friend. First time being on set. So that's very exciting. It's pretty impressive, right? It, I mean, and look at this. It it's, is it's a very impressive. It is. It's, and, and well deserved. <laughs> Thank you so yes. much. Um, let talk, let's talk about the economy a little bit. Because uh, look, you know, you look at, we, we watched the debates last night. It's still, even though they didn't talk about it much during the debate, it's still the number one issue for voters. People see there are major, major problems. You wrote a column, uh, if the economy is growing, why do I feel so left behind? And I feel like this is a sentiment that is really affecting Biden, right? They keep telling us Bidenomics is fantastic and everything's working fine, but it, that is not at all what people are feeling. So what, what's the actual truth on the economy? Yeah, so when it comes to something like inflation and you get uh, people in the Biden administration, you get the mainstream media going, well, the inflation rate is going down. I don't know why people aren't happy about that. Yeah. And the analogy I always use is, is weight gain. Imagine that you had kept your weight constant for quite some time and then COVID hits and all of a sudden you gain 10 pounds. And then the next year you go to the doctor and you've gained three and a half pounds. Your doctor doesn't go, oh, it's great. <laughs> Well, the, the, your rate of weight gain has slowed from year to year. No, you're up 13 and a half pounds. Your pants don't fit anymore and you're not happy. And that's what's happening with inflation. Our pants don't fit anymore, except that it's not our pants. It's our wallets. It's our checking house. It's got no money left in it. And so they want us to be happy about it. And I think people are very confused because we th see things like, oh, the GDP grew at 4.9%. How is the economy growing when everybody is struggling? Well, one of the reasons is obviously people are coming out of pocket. People um, are having to dip into their personal savings. They're having to take on more debt. We have household debt at record levels. Credit card debt just reached $1.1 trillion, just about, I think it was $1.08 trillion for the first time in history, not a record we want to have. Mm -hmm. So our personal balance sheets are getting wrecked. At the same time, the way that they're measuring inflation, as we all know, doesn't really take into account what's happening, right? We know that inflation is more than whatever it is that they calculate. They want to have a lower calculation so they don't have to increase cost of living adjustments for Social Security that high and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So when they do the adjustments to say, here's the real GDP number, the real one, the inflation adjusted, is not actually taking into account 
all of the inflation that we're seeing. So if they did that, the, the economy probably wouldn't be growing or be growing just a tiny little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're seeing that disconnect and feeling that disconnect. So you're not going crazy. This is really happening. Your concerns are valid. And don't let the media and the Biden administration, whoever, look down on you and say, oh, you're just not sophisticated. No, this is a real issue. And we need more people standing up and talking about that. First of all, let me tell you, I've, I've tried to explain that uh, inflation thing 25 times and every time it gets so complicated and I don't know that anyone understands it. The weight idea is a great one and I'm stealing it. I'm just frankly Please stealing it. Please do. It's just going to be theft and if you're lucky, I'll say your name. I'll say That's I saw right. from That's you. Right. As, as my gift to you for being <laughs> here on set, there you can go. steal the weight analogy. Um, you know, it, I will say like looking at this... Yeah, yeah, we've gone through a lot of up and down cycles. I mean, you know, I've been doing yes. this for a zillion years. We've seen a lot of recessions. We've seen a lot of recoveries. And for a bad period in the economy, I think it is a little weird, right? Like the, the inflation or the unemployment rate is low. Like some of the numbers are promising. You know, there are some economists out there that will still make the case, quote unquote, seriously, that the economy is fine and actually doing pretty well. Why does this feel so different, though? Why don't we feel that the economy is actually working? Well, I think there are a couple of things going on. First of all, we've come out of 15 years of the Fed messing with monetary policy, disrupting risk in the market, putting almost $9 trillion on its balance sheet, suppressing interest rates. Nine years, we had zero interest rate policy. I mean, there was no risk attributed to, to loaning money mm-hmm. or to, to you know getting a, a return on your money. Um, so you know, it's going to take a long time for all of the issues that come along with that to work its way through the economy. The jobs thing is interesting. Um, jobs weren't a problem before we got into this period. You know, this wasn't a big issue for us. In fact, we don't have enough people in the workforce. Yeah. Um, now we have people who are taking on multiple jobs to get by. So, again, when you look at the data, it's like, oh, OK, well, this doesn't seem too bad. But that really wasn't what the issue was. Now we're seeing something like historic inflation. Um, as of you know a year ago, we hadn't seen that level in 40 plus years. And so it's a, a different tenor. Um, in terms of it changing, though, I think that this is where people are probably going to be caught off guard because, as you said, things cycle. So we just kind of say, oh, well, this is a bad cycle. It's going to get better. Right. We've never been, you know, not only did we never have this 15 years of, of crazy monetary policy and all the government policy, but we, we haven't been in a period where our own balance sheet, the U.S.'s balance sheet, has been in such a bad position. We have 120% debt to GDP, which for most people, that doesn't mean anything. But that's like the equivalent of an emerging market balance sheet. The mm. IMF's come out previously and said that you know, for a sovereign country, if you get to the point where you have like 70 to 80% debt to GDP, that's a concern. That's where you want to tap out. So we're way ahead of that. We've also never had a period where you have a quote unquote expansion in the economy and we're running deficits at this level. On average, deficits are like 3.6% of GDP. Right now, our deficit is 8% of GDP in a period of expansion. Mm. So we're spending, but it's not translating in the way that it was before. Nor- normally when you'd have a deficit like that, you know, maybe it's because you're not collecting enough tax revenue or maybe um, you're trying to, to boost the economy and, and <laughs> that's just not the situation. So if the economy's doing okay and we're still having this problem, we're just not in that strong financial position. Mm-hmm. And the issue becomes they continue to spend like this. 
this. We have on an annualized basis one trillion dollars in interest payments that we now have to pay it's for. Incredible. What are the choices? Like th th this is basic math. What are the choices for the government? They either raise more tax dollars, which is coming out of, you know, whether it's income or they try to do a wealth tax or an inheritance tax, it's taking more money from us. Mm -hmm. They finance it, they throw on more debt, which we know they're gonna have to monetize and that means that it's going to decrease our, the, the, our purchasing power, they're gonna debase the currency. Or door number three, Stu, <laughs> they roll back spending. And that's what they should they be like doing. They don't like that door because that's the one that impacts <laughs> yeah. them, not us. The mm -hmm. other two impact us. Number three impacts us somewhat, but not on the same level that the other two do. And of course, that's not going to get them reelected. They, they don't have the fortitude. We've seen when other countries do this. this they try to do this in Paris and they burn down, or in France, they try to burn down Paris. Yeah. So the likelihood they're gonna do what they need to do is, is next to nothing. But the government's spending six trillion dollars. They're collecting, you know, an insane amount of money for us. They don't need any more money. They just need to call back the spending. And given where we are financially, unfortunately, like I wish I could come on here and go, oh, the, with the road ahead, this is just a cycle. It's going to be much better. It's not. Yeah, like, it's not. It's, it, you're bringing the cheer to the yeah. Once today. again, yes. Uh, you know, it's funny because you look at where we've been, and we're just in this like constant, bizarre, like uh, this has been a. a this has been the same story we've been talking about for 20 years, which Correct. is this debt is going to get too high. Correct. These deficits are too high. They're going to create this interest uh, payment that is bigger than our defense budget very soon Correct. if we don't turn things around. We keep running our mouth, running our mouth, running our mouth. And for a long time, there was one party who would spend like crazy. And the other party, when they were out of power, would say, wait a minute, no, don't spend. And then they get in power and they'd spend, but maybe at a slightly lower rate. We have now advanced to a, a place where both parties are just spending like crazy. They don't even really give lip service to restraining that anymore. So with that the case, as that is the case, how do we turn this around? Because they don't even, they, anyone who even says, hey, maybe we should look at the structure of Medicare or Social Security because long term, that's the biggest driver of our debt. Those people get, they, they are at 1% in the primary and they get excommunicated from society. Yeah, when's the last time you saw people marching for their wallets? The march for our wallets? Yeah. The, never, never, right? Like we haven't seen it like since I, the 70s. I mean, maybe you'd say the Tea Party had some of that in there. May, maybe, mm -hmm. but we've got marches and protests about like every silly thing in the world, yeah. but the stuff that's our yeah. financial foundation, like where is that? When are people showing up in front of the Fed, in front of the Treasury, you know, calling their Congress people and saying, this is our number, we know it's everybody's number one issue, but you're not, acting like it's your number one issue. So mm. until people peacefully but forcibly protest and say this is important to us, say this is the thing that we are going to vote on because you say it's your number one issue, but then you don't vote that way. So nobody believes you. And I'm not saying the people who are listening to your program, I'm sure I'm they sure do, sure. but the larger populace. But again, these are the same people who, when they had the opportunity to have stimulus checks, everyone's like, yeah, give me my, give, give me my I want my Biden bucks. I want my Donnie dollars. Mm -hmm. I want my thousand dollars. And people like you and I are going, no, 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 it's a trick. It's a trick. You're going to be paying $10,000 <laughs> $10, a year for the rest of your life for taking that thousand dollars. And they're like, I, I need, I need my money. Mm -hmm. So when you have people who fundamentally don't understand the difference between nominal value and purchasing power or anything like that, it gets real hard to get people kind of focused in the right direction. And I feel like as we look at the next generations coming up, it's, it doesn't look like it's going to improve. We no. had the quiet quitting 
situation where people were just collecting uh, money for and not doing their jobs and just trying to wait it out and see what would happen. And now you have you. Uh, th- this is incredible. Soft saving. Soft now, saving. Now, what is soft saving, Carol Roth? Soft saving is the quiet quitting of the <laughs> uh, the savings department. This is hilarious. So, I mean, it's not hilarious. It's sad, but it's, it's hilarious. That they've named it this. So, soft saving is basically. I'm just not going to save. I'm going to go out and live my life YOLO, um, enjoy myself, and maybe I just won't retire. You know, I'm just going to figure it out later down the line. Mm. And here's what I'd say about that to my Gen Z friends out there, because I want you to be successful, is it's great to never retire if that is your choice. It is not great to never retire because you are forced to because you don't have enough money to live on. Mm -hmm. If you're doing it because you enjoy it, that's a great place to be in. And that's the whole point of investing when you're young, to have that flexibility so that you can do what you want. You want to take advantage of the time value of money. You want to take advantage of what Albert Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world, which is compound interest. Those people who understand it, earn it. And those who don't understand it, pay for it. You want to be on the side that is earning it. And when you are young, especially when we're in a period where we're probably going to have continued inflation, you need to be doing everything you can to to keep pace with it. And we are putting our young people through government policy and the like in a position where they feel despondent. So they're like, you know, quiet quit, soft save. We're just we're just opting out. And unfortunately, it's just not going to be an American dream and a bright future for them if they don't, you know, again, say we want to participate. This is important. You had that opportunity. I want it, too. Mm-hmm. The sad part is if enough of them are going to band together and do this as they get older. They'll have the voting power and they Correct. will vote in new programs for themselves because they never saved anything. And then the cycle gets worse and worse right. and worse and worse. Well, just, well, just wait until yeah. until the government steals their inheritances oh. and then maybe they'll get fired up about maybe. it. Maybe. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, Carol Roth, uh, her book is You Will Own Nothing, Your uh, your War with the New Financial World Order and How to Fight Back. It's available now. Big bestseller. Make sure to grab a copy of it if you haven't already. Carol, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thanks for having me. Nate Cohn in the New York Times described something that I was talking a little bit about yesterday when it comes to the effect of abortion on um, the election's coming up. Uh, there's a th- it's called a Tuesday was great for Democrats. It doesn't change the outlook for 2024. Large theory is like, yeah, you can roll out abortion as an issue and probably win these off-year elections because a lot of people aren't paying attention. The only people who really are fired up about this are big-time abortion supporters, so they get out there and they, and they get to the polls. We saw that in Ohio. The, so why not just roll that out all over the country if you're a Democrat? Well, Here's the thing. In 2024, you don't need to inspire tons and tons of voters. Everyone's going to be out there voting because of the presidential election. So that issue as a uh, a wedge issue is really not going to be as effective in 2024. The data is interesting to go through if you want to. Um, there's new stats out from uh, Bidenomics. Bidenomics striking back once again. Uh, the supplemental poverty rate for families headed by a single mother going the wrong direction was 11.9% in 2021 and up to 26.7% in 
in 2022. And God only knows where it is today as things seemingly get a little bit worse. A lot of that, of course, is they just threw money at people in 2021. But no lasting effect, as we've always said, from a conservative perspective economically. And finally, if you want to make some money, this might be the way to do it. Uh, A guy, a husband, has decided he's going to charge his wife a dollar every time she brings up Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Uh, This could be the way to solve our economy. If we could get a giant national swear jar that just gets filled up when people bring up Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, we would be out of debt. And my projections are three and a half minutes. Uh, so, look, I, it's a recommendation at this point. We don't have a jar large enough for this much money, but maybe we should construct one. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Let's say uh, your wife keeps bringing up Taylor Swift over and over again, and you've got to move out of the house. You need to find a new place to live. You need to get as far away as possible. Well, then you need realestateagentsitrust.com. Buying and selling a home is not fun. Uh, it can be a lot of work. And if you don't have a great agent, you don't never know if you're getting screwed, if, you're, if this is going the way it's supposed to go. If you go to realestateagentsitrust.com, what you will know is that you have one of the best agents in your area, the top agent from around, not only with results, but someone you can trust, you can believe in, someone that will lead you in the right direction, depending on what you want out of a home, what you want out of an experience, what you want out of a neighborhood. Uh, these agents are good, like-minded people. You are not going to be afraid to make a handshake deal with. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. It's a free service to you, so why not check it out? Realestateagentsitrust.com. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. I want to welcome back R.M. McIntyre to the program. He's a columnist for TheBlaze.com and host of The R.M. McIntyre Show, which is a conveniently named show. It would be weird if someone else hosted it. It's right here on Blaze TV. R.M., thanks so much for coming on, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, last night was the debate. Are you a, the type of person who's like, oh, gosh, I can't take another one of these? Or do you like seeing people, even if they're not maybe the top tier candidates, talking about these these issues? I think we're pretty much all kind of t- exhausted with it at <laughs> yeah, this point. Yeah. But, but I do think it reveals some really interesting things. For instance, I was keeping an eye on kind of the time of the debate. And I think we went about 40 minutes before we actually talked about a problem about America. Everything was about yeah. how much money we can send to Israel or Ukraine or how much support we can give to a foreign country. Didn't seem to be much talk about the United States and the people therein. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I kind of get foreign policy kind of being the big story over the past three or four weeks, but it was all foreign policy for a very long time. You, I, At one point I was wondering, are they going to talk about the economy? Are they going to talk about things that are happening in America? <laughs> I don't know. It didn't seem like they were all that interested for a long time. Yeah, and you have this scenario because, of course, Trump's not in the room where there's this looming question, you know, why should it be you and not Trump, even though he's well ahead of everyone in the polls? And it's a really awkward situation. Obviously, you have people like Chris Christie who just have no chance. But Ron DeSantis, at least, you know, somebody like that is in the mix. And Vivek is always impressive, if even if it feels (laughs) like he's more auditioning for a cabinet position than the actual presidency. So there's some interesting interplay there. But the fact that the guy who really matters isn't in the room room is really felt. What do you think the purpose of this is? Because I, I go back and forth where normally the purpose is to win, right? Like you're, let's say you're Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or, or Chris Christie. Like your idea is I want to beat Donald Trump so I can be the nominee. 
But like, I feel like when I'm watching this, what we're seeing is almost like a secondary, like minor league situation where they're all fighting to win that secondary primary on the chance that maybe they throw Donald Trump in prison or maybe something t- crazy happens and Trump can't be the nominee. And they're just kind of playing for that second place. Do you, do you get the sense that's what's happening? Or do you think, I mean, are they even, because I didn't see much of anything when it came to actually trying to differentiate themselves from Trump, which is something you'd think you'd need to do. In fact, it feels like Vivek is probably busting through because he's closest to Trump. Right. I, I think you hit yeah. the nail on the head there. Yeah. Is It's really just, is there anyone who will be around if Trump happens to get indicted or for other reasons can't run and then they get the honorary job of running in his stead? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the strangest primary season that I've ever seen in my entire life. But it all leads to, I think, the, the fact that there's an internal struggle going on on the right. Like, there are multiple factions. It's no longer this sort of like Reagan three, you know, stu- uh, three leg stool that are everyone's coming together and like you know, there's these three groups and we all kind of know that we don't agree with everyone, but we're going to unite uh, as a group. That, that, that old construct of the Republican Party has changed and we're in the middle of those that that's sort of those death throes right now that might be going away something new might be coming up where do you see this as far as the process goes yeah i think that coalitional crack up is really critical to notice and the really interesting thing is it seems like the establishment is there of course and then you have kind of the new activist class or kind of the new think tank class that wants to take over Mm -hmm. and then you have the base and there's very different priorities depending on which the base is very clearly pro-trump i think it's very obvious that he still commands the support there. You have the people who are going kind of with the Ron DeSantis wing who want something that is kind of more disciplined than Trump, more in Mm -hmm. the wheelhouse of the Beltway class, but is still a solid break from the establishment. And then you have kind of the neocon establishment that's holding on for dear life, thinking that they're at some point going to return us back to John McCain era politics. Yeah. And and the energy of the party does not feel like that is go- it's going to allow that at least for a while, right? Like, I mean, I was watching Nikki Haley, and, and Nikki Haley's polls are relatively decent when you're looking, as, as especially at that second tier, right? She's right up there around DeSantis, leading him in New Hampshire and South Carolina. But it feels like there's just a, 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 a ceiling on her. Like, it just feels like the ceiling on her, she might be strong in the general election if she could get through the primary. I mean, at least the polling seems to show that. But like, no Trump supporters like, all right, I'll go with Haley. Like, I think Trump supporters might say, all right, I'll go with DeSantis if given if they need to make a choice other than Trump. I just don't see that Haley can get above 25, 30 percent in a primary. Yeah, it really feels like she's running more for a board on a seat of a defense contractor <laughs> than for president of the United States. Yeah. And, and again, I think that the base really understands that. They smell that establishment on her. Like you said, DeSantis at least feels like he's some kind of break. He's a competent policy politician who is able to attack some things like wokeness that people are very tired of, that the base does want to change. But Haley really does feel like she's back into that lane of just going with, it's all about kind of how much money we can get out to foreign policy activists, and mm. then maybe we might talk about a few things domestically, but that's not really her focus. Let's put you in the position of you're an advisor to Ron DeSantis for a minute. And I look at this sometimes and I think, well, you know, DeSantis is a 
pretty darn good governor. He's got a really good record. He's well-liked by Republicans generally. And he's still down by 30 and 40 points in, in all of these areas. And at some point, it almost looks like it's impossible, right? Like basically, you know, let's just put it this very simplistic way. Donald Trump has some magical power that you can't defeat unless, you, unless you're a sorcerer and have some other spell. If you're going to advise DeSantis on how to go after Trump, to not piss off all of his voters, but maybe grab some of them, what would you tell him? I would tell them not just not to at this point. I think yeah. there really is, unfortunately, a position. I remember being down in Florida during a Trump rally when Ron DeSantis was losing to Andrew, Gill Andrew Gillum. Mm -hmm. And really, the galvanization of the Trump fans around him was a big deal. Now, Ron DeSantis became his own man once he became governor. And I think he earned the loyalty of many Floridians, myself included, because mm -hmm. of the way he acted during COVID, the way he governed in the face of a lot of adversity. But still, that base is at its core loyal to Trump. And I think he should have just stayed out of it. But I think the best thing at this point he can do is say, I'm going to do this for the good of the party and I'm going to wait for the next time around. I don't know if he's going to do that, but that would be my advice. Yeah. I mean, I, I think at least until Trump gets past some of these legal hurdles, they're all going to stick or try to stay in there and give themselves some sort of convincing that, hey, maybe I can win Iowa. Maybe I can pull it off. Maybe I can stick around. And if, if Trump falls, I'll be there. Um, Let's go more to like a, the way things are working for the conservatives right now. You, you have a column which is great. It's called The System Isn't Broken. It's working exactly as intended. And you bring up an ex example. You kind of had a back and forth with, uh, not in a negative way, but with Charlie Kirk, where he pointed out mass migration has failed. And your answer to that was, I think, uh, something that kind of changes people's perspective. Can you go through this? Yeah, Charlie Kirk, like he said, he was talking about mass migration, saying it failed. And of course, he was observing the very true fact that mass migration is very bad for the host country. It's mm -hmm. very bad for the population of those countries. It hasn't provided any of the benefits that, that were promised for these uh, immigrants coming into the country. But my point was that it hasn't failed. It succeeded at its actual purpose. And it's actually purpose was to dilute the democratic power of the uh, of the citizens of those countries and fundamentally shift politics in a different direction that was going to give people like, say, the Democratic Party in the United States an electoral advantage in perpetuity. And that's true of so many of the institutions in the United States. People will say, oh, well, we failed on border security or we failed on education or we failed with the military. And the answer is no, we haven't really failed. Those things are just succeeding at their actual purpose, which isn't their stated purpose but we seem to confuse those. We don't understand the differentiation. So what is the stated purpose for, I mean, not just, obviously you just outlined uh, border security, but there's so many of these examples that I think work really well here. If you look at this from a different perspective and say, well, what's the actual goal? Uh, can you walk us through some of this? Because I think if people start to, put things in this construct, it's going to be a lot easier to understand what's going on. Sure. So, for instance, the goal of a military from basically time immemorial is to protect the borders of a nation. That's why you even have a military in the first place. Mm -hmm. It defends your nation from people who aren't supposed to be there. They're not supposed to cross into it. But for some reason, the military of the United States can defend any border but the southern border of the United States. It can go to any other country. It can fight for the, the territorial integrity of any other nation except for the United States. And that means its real purpose is not actually the protection of the United States. It's the furtherance of our elite, inf the influence of our elites around the globe. It's pursuing their interests. Same thing with, say, the school system. In theory, it's supposed to educate children, to you know, treat, uh, teach them to read, write, do math, those kind of things. It fails 
it that very regularly. I was a teacher and I know that a large majority of children who come through those places can barely read at this point. However, it is very good at indoctrinating them in gender ideology, into hating you know, their, 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 themselves on the basis of the color of their skin. These are things that it's very good at teaching children to do. So again, the express purpose is supposed to be their education in academics, but the actual purpose, the one that actually succeeds at, is indoctrination of progressive ideology. So when I say the government fails at everything, you're giving me an optimistic vision? No, they're doing great. <laughs> over and over again, they're succeeding. Um, let me focus on Ukraine here for a second, because I thought this was interesting watching Nikki Haley. And the one thing I will give to Nikki Haley is she's making a positive uh, argument for her position and not hiding it. She, she's saying, look, we should be giving hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine, and, and it's a good thing for us. And while I don't agree with her on that, um, certainly to the extent that she goes to, it, it, it's somewhat refreshing for her. To, at least you have someone who's being honest about her position and advocating for it. Um, but when I, I, it made me curious. We all know that there's um, a uh, national uh, or inter international policy type of conservative that's been around for a long time and still exists. It's a smaller part, a slice of the party than it used to be, but it, it does still exist. And I decided I wanted to go look at the polls, the Siena poll that came out uh, the other day that was really bad for Biden and really good for Trump in these swing states. They asked about, do you uh, agree with you know, more funding to Ukraine? And uh, the Republican, it was something like 75 to 20 said, no, we're done. Like, no more, please. Um, I, think it was, I think it was something like that. 60-40, 70-20, it was something like that. Um, but the overall number for the entire population um, was 58-38 in favor. A 20-point gap, a big gap for independents, big gap for Democrats. Partially, I think that's just they're attached to Biden's policy on the left, right? Because, I mean, they never used to want to do anything uh, overseas. But, like, how do you walk this line when you're trying to, uh, you know, introduce a little bit of a different flavor of the right um, when maybe the general election population likes the old flavor of the right a little bit? Yeah, and that's a real difficulty, I think, for the right, is there's a misunderstanding about how democracy works. You know, it's the mm -hmm. idea is that we assemble a number of very popular policies, and if we kind of align ourselves correctly with the popular position, then we win the election, and right. then we kind of execute that, mm -hmm. that policy. But that's not how that works at all. For instance, transgender children were not very popular 10 years ago. In fact, <laughs> no. they basically didn't exist 10 years ago. Right. But now they are the soul of America, according to Joe Biden. And they... <laughs> enjoy a very wide amount of popular support among our most powerful institutions. Did that happen because like America suddenly fell in love with the idea of trans children? I don't think so. No, no. Right? Yeah. It, it's because that was driven by our elite institutions because we lined up our legal incentives and our cultural incentives. We lined up our corporate incentives with the idea that this was a really important moral issue. And that ended up furthering that and altering public opinion to the point where that is now the thing that we're doing. Republicans and conservatives need to understand that it's not about chasing the idea of the current public polling, but it's about controlling mm. institutions that shape that idea. That's a really important way to look at it. Uh, Aaron McIntyre, he's, uh, of course, right here on Blaze TV, the Aaron McIntyre Show. You can check, out, uh, check it out uh, on Blaze TV. And, of course, his uh, writing, including, let me give you a couple. Uh, the system isn't broken. It's working exactly as intended. We just talked about that. Another one we didn't quite get to is The Complete Failure of 1984, which is a really interesting uh, read at all. Make sure to check it out at theblaze.com. The new site is up. There's no commercials on it. You're going to love it. And Aaron's on it all the time. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thanks again, man. So let me throw out a name and tell me if you remember it. Harry Dunn. 
Remember that name? He's a United States Capitol Police officer, and he testified about January 6th to Congress. He wrote this big book. He was celebrated as his massive hero, kind of painted himself that way. He was a you know, heroic martyr who fought bravely against racism and the insurrectionists. But according to a new uh, story over at TheBlaze.com, a lot of this wasn't true. These events didn't take place the way that he says that they did. In fact, he's had a history of all sorts of issues, including mental health problems, uh, anger issues. Some of these anger issues are evident in his breakdowns at the Capitol. Uh, this stuff was left out of the magical heroic part of the story. TheBlaze.com has looked into this, and they have the second installment of our video series, the truth about January 6th. It uses open source videos of a number of Dunn's outbursts that have been released to the public through several trials of January 6th defendants. Uh, this is the reason, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff is the reason why we actually made the changes that we have to Blaze News. Um, it's important that we get to do investigative journalism, real pieces, not just you know, following and reacting to what they say in The View. I mean, that's fun to do sometimes, but in reality, you need to do more than that. And if you aren't a Blaze New subscriber, really please help us do this important work. Just $36 a year, you can ensure that we do more meaningful work like this. Go to theblaze.com slash subscribe. You can read the story and subscribe. Today, we hope to do theblaze.com slash subscribe.